colleagues. My name is Anthony McKay. I'm the CEO and President of the National Centre on Education in the Economy, and I want to welcome you to the fourth in our series of interviews that we are calling Global Ed Talks with colleagues that are making a very significant contribution to the international dialogue, the national dialogue on education. And today, I want to warmly welcome Vivian Stewart. Vivian, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Well, you're here in a number of capacities because you are indeed a, a Board of Trustees Director for the National Centre. Uh, you have been with us now for a significant period and helping to shape and influence the nature of our work at NCEE. But more broadly, of course, you bring to that uh, your own multiple roles in other organisations. You're currently the chair of EDC. You are a director of the ACT. You have been engaged in leadership work with Asia Society as vice president of education and continue to advise and work particularly in the area uh, of the Asian region but beyond. Carnegie, I think about the establishment of the national board, all of that work, the UN, you've been associated with that uh, work now over many years and have had a superb contribution to the international dialogue as well as the national dialogue. Your, your, your book, uh, World Class Education, um, is one that many people have used as a way of thinking about uh, the work in both this country and internationally. So all of those things bring you here, but in particular, can I say you and I have shared a journey over the last nine years because we have been jointly associated with the International Summit on the Teaching Profession which brings ministers and teacher union leaders together to think about how we can improve teacher policy in our respective jurisdictions and learn from each other. So I'm just thinking that here we are at a point where that conversation has now been unfolding over a number of years. Let me ask to begin with, how do you see the demands and expectations of the teaching profession as we think about this 21st century? Is there a real sense in which those demands and expectations are shifting? How would you capture that? Well, I would say there's probably been about 30 countries involved in the teaching summit over the last nine yeah. years, or from developed, some developing, rapidly improving, but mostly developed countries. And reflecting on that nine years, I think it's clear that the demands on teaching uh, are growing uh, every, every year. Um, you know, we started off talking about uh, the need not just to educate some to high level, but all students to high level, uh, increasingly diverse student bodies, uh, 21st century competencies, um, teaching digitally, uh, dealing with uh, democracy and fake news, climate change. I mean, it seems every year there's a new challenge uh, for teachers. And the sad thing is that many of the countries that participate uh, are actually having a hard time getting teachers. They find that the teaching profession is getting more challenging and harder to attract people into, and they're very concerned about that. When you, when you think about teacher quality or teaching quality, and we here at uh, NCE, of course, with our nine building blocks, have put a significant mm -hmm. emphasis upon the quality of teachers and teaching at the heart of high-performing education systems. When you think about the nature of teacher quality and think about this as a system, I've often heard some of our 
countries around that table talking about an end-to-end system. What are they referring to? Right. Well, the, 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 the few countries in the world that actually don't have trouble recruiting teachers, that have a high-quality teacher workforce, they're very happy with it, it's pretty stable, um, do, have developed over time an end-to-end system. There's no quick fix to the problem of countries that don't have that, um, and they haven't necessarily done it in a sort of logical order. But The system they have in place right now includes starting with intentionally thinking about recruitment, not just leaving it to chance who comes into the profession, starting to attract people in high school, career changes, thinking about where there are shortages and going after people rather than waiting uh, to deal with that afterwards. Teacher preparation, there's been lots of work on improving the quality of teacher preparation. In some countries, it's pretty looked down on. Uh, In the high-performing countries, they have both rigorous subject matter content and a lot of clinical training. Um, Some of them even train teachers to understand how to do research so that they're doing research along with their teaching about whether their teaching is working. Um, Probably the most important part is once teachers are in the classroom, um, they all have, all new teachers have mentors for one or two years, sometimes more. Uh, They all work in teacher groups uh, to work on improving the curriculum or figuring out the problems in a school. Uh, They have other teachers in their classrooms, giving them feedback on on their performance. It's very much um, a team activity. Mm. Uh, Instruction is constantly improving or changing. So whether you're trying to uh, improve STEM or introduce 21st century competencies, there are these systems in which the senior teachers and the junior teachers work together over time to change the school. And that's, that makes it a very satisfying place to be, uh, to be a teacher. Salaries turns out not to be a major issue. You've, you've got to have an entry level salary that is equivalent to a civil servant to what others are getting, but nobody goes into teaching to be rich. But if it's too much below that, 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 that is a problem. Um, but I think it's more about the trajectory in and then the, and then the career paths. Um, the way you, if once you uh, have been in teaching a number of years, say in a Singapore or a Shanghai, um, you'll be encouraged to think about, do you want to become a master teacher or a curriculum specialist uh, or a principal? Um, so there's not this sense that you just go into a classroom and stay there for 30 years. So they have really thought about it from essentially age 15 up, up through retirement. It's, it's not a, you get trained in the beginning and then that's it. As you say, around that uh, summit table, there are 25 up to 30 high-performing or fast-improving systems, and they hear uh, the respective stories about how no education system performs at a level higher than the quality of its teaching profession. I mean, I know that's a shorthand for mm-hmm. all of the complexity that you've talked about. But do you believe that now we are sharing in a very productive way those parts of the end-to-end system uh, that we can adopt, adapt, import into other systems and see that the success of those elements can become quite significant in lifting the performance 
of other jurisdictions. Yeah, it's very interesting to me in the most recent meeting in Finland, how often countries would refer to previous conversations they'd had the previous year when this particular country said this or that particular country said that and how they were thinking about trying to adapt it. Nobody copies no. directly because the systems are all too culture specific, too political context specific, um, but, the, but, the, but the general ideas. I would say the one area where there's been the greatest interest and maybe the biggest difference between the highest performing and the lower performing uh, countries is is in the whole area of teacher learning and teacher leadership once teachers are in the classroom. There's such a huge difference between a Singapore and a Shanghai Uh, where teachers are constantly having the opportunity to learn from other teachers in, in group ways, led by senior teachers, having people comment on their uh, instruction in the schools, working on a new curriculum together, all of that. It's just, it's, uh, it's the secret source, yeah. I think, of those systems. It's the way the whole thing works. Teachers are not isolated. They're not left to struggle on their own. Uh, and the poorer performing systems where teachers are isolated and left to struggle on their own. So you see many of the systems. Now, some of those uh, really good systems are Asian, but but not all of them. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you see many of these systems that are trying to improve, like a Scotland or a Netherlands uh, or a Norway or a Sweden, looking at, well, how can we, we may not be able to do it in exactly the same way as those systems, but how can we significantly change what the teaching profession is like once teachers are in the classroom? How can we make it intellectually engaging? How can we give teachers new leadership roles? How can these groups of teachers really drive the continuous improvement of schools? That's the kind of the general feel of the lesson. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that that brings us into that kind of language about partnerships. So it's, you've got ministers of education, you've got leaders of teacher unions, uh, teacher associations sitting around the table talking about the need for stronger partnership at the level of policy and practice. Mm -hmm. But as you say, when we get more deeply into the conversation, there's a conversation about what it means to exercise teacher leadership within schools, or in our case, within a school or within a district or within a, a state, within clusters of schools, networks of schools, all of that comes out in the conversation. And I know that you've talked about this as being teacher-led learning, that that's, that's at the heart of some of the most successful systems. Just say a bit more about what you mean about that, teacher-led learning, teacher leadership, how it's expressed maybe with some examples. Okay, well, the, the caricature of many Western school systems that people use, yeah. um, and it's used in the, in the summits by ministers, but more, I'd say, by the Teachers Association members, is that you have a principal who makes decisions and you have teachers who are sort of factory workers who, who implement them. And that's you know, obviously a very, uh, very old-fashioned uh, kind of model. If you take, say, a Singapore, um, the whole school, there is a principal, and the principal's role is to set the strategic goals of the school. The principal's role is also to ensure that his or her teachers are constantly improving their practice, uh, expanding their repertoire of activities, having greater impact. But most of the day-to-day -day work of actually figuring out what the curriculum is, how are we going to change from traditional teaching methods to 21st century teaching methods? How are we going to deal with climate change? Whatever the issue yeah. uh, of the day is, is, is uh, carried out by these teacher working groups that are led by more senior teachers with more junior teachers. And they will 
study the problem in a school, they'll go look at the research literature, they'll come up with what they think is their intervention, their way to deal with it, they'll try it out for a few weeks, they may get some help from the university uh, in studying it, and then gradually over time, that's, the, that's a sort of an engine that keeps things continually improving, not rapidly, not overnight, mm. um, but it's a very powerful way of making sure that the system doesn't, doesn't stay still, and that is all run by teachers. Um, once you've been a teacher for three years, I think I mentioned before, you have the option of these different career tracks. Yeah. And so the, the senior teachers who the, are mentored in how to play that role are the ones who lead these, uh, these uh, teacher groups. Um, so so there's, a, there's a career ladder and there's a collaborative structure in these schools that doesn't exist in many Western schools. So that's, that's very attractive to people. Yeah, absolutely, but that, that the career ladder or career progression mm -hmm supported by a commitment to collaboration, to working in teams. These become the signatures of uh, high-performing systems that we're talking about here. To what extent are they increasingly the features of, I'm now thinking beyond a Singapore and a Shanghai, I'm thinking into Canadian provinces or Finland or Estonia. Well, take, take fin Finland's an interesting example because yeah. that is also a very high-performing system, but it's one where uh, it's a much smaller system, but um, than the Shanghai anyway. But it's one where they had a very high-quality teacher preparation system. They have all their teachers have master's degrees. They're trained in research. Uh, they have a lot of freedom in the schools to uh, decide on not the curriculum framework, but how to carry out the curriculum, what the assessment should look like. Um, it's a very highly professional teaching force, but they had nothing, they were isolated in their classrooms. Yes. They were working on their own. Yes. Uh, Finland has now essentially adopted um, a kind of Asian system, if you want to call it that, and they now have a, a teacher in every school. In English, it's called a tutor teacher. I don't yes. know what it's called in Finnish, um, whose role it is to uh, sponsor collaboration among the teachers uh, within a school and across a school because they feel that by turning the school into a team as opposed to individual professionals, you'll get a lot more power. Yeah. Uh, Canadian provinces similarly have... Um, it's, it's a provincial system, so there's no national uh, legislation in Canada, but a number of the provinces have started to work on career progressions, both for teachers and for principals, with training associated with it. Nothing as highly structured as the mm. career ladders in, mm. Singa and, in Singapore and, uh, and, and Shanghai, but recognizing that, um, that, that you want to use the best people in your system. Uh, to try to help pull this pull the system along, and that teachers are looking for new roles. They don't just want to stay in one classroom their whole lives. But I, I hear exactly the same conversation going on in multiple states and districts here. That in fact the importance of teacher leadership, of more distributed mm -hmm. leadership, of the roles that we can now see established in many schools that actually promote collaboration. It strikes me that. That is, and, and a real sense, therefore, that we're having the same conversation. But the successful uh, translation of these powerful ideas into practice is always a challenge. So how would you see what we've just been talking about translated into what you see here? in states and districts across the US because there's a huge amount of activity in this space. There is a lot of activity. We always have lots of uh, 
uh, peaks of excellence, pilots, uh, but, <clears throat> but we don't make it systemic. And, and, I, and I think there are, there are certain things that it's important to do right, or I mean, we have lots of professional learning communities and learning teams and yes. things like that, and they, some of them work beautifully and others don't work well at all. Um, and I, some of the things I think are critical, the first is you have to figure out how teachers are going to get an hour, at least an hour's worth of collaborative time a week to work together. That turns out to be barrier number one. Yes. Uh, secondly, you can't have accountability systems that focus all of the accountability on individual teachers um, who then compete with each other and are not able to collaborate. Thirdly, the person who leads these has to be, has to be recognized as an expert teacher, not just a principal's favorite or a superintendent's favorite. They have to have credibility in that role. Fourthly, it has to be very focused. This isn't just um, uh, ongoing education for the sake of your own uh, academic interest. It's really got to be focused on a problem in a school or an innovation in a school uh, that, that you're trying to solve. So I think there are a number of things that have to come together um, to make it work and but, not make it just superficial yes, chat. Yes, understood, that it genuinely does become yeah. systemic right. in that sense. So let me just double back a bit. So if we say that the demands on the profession are growing and intensifying, um, if we understand that we need to have an end-to-end -end system of the kind that you've talked about, that at least at this point is demonstrating the way in which we can optimize the power of teaching and its impact on learning outcomes. That's what we see in the high-performing systems, yeah? And if we know that greater levels of teacher leadership and collaboration are clearly, what did you say, the Secret, Secret sauce. <laughs> okay. I've only lived to regret that. <laughs> okay. But we've tried on a couple of occasions in the last few summits to say, let's talk about not just the edge of the current paradigm and how we can optimise uh, the way in which the power of the teaching profession and quality teaching can drive better outcomes, including new metrics, not even narrow excellence mm -hmm. yet. But we've tried to talk about the future. We've tried to say, how can we anticipate what the teaching profession might need to look like, what an educator workforce might need to look like? And people have talked about the need for a more diversified workforce. They've talked about the need for educators to work with allied professionals. We've talked about the need for experimentation and innovation. We've never quite taken that conversation to the next stage. If you were prepared to anticipate how we might do that, are there a few elements here in the dialogue that are starting to emerge that help us to think about the shape of a future teaching profession where, as you point out, the demands are getting greater? I mean, I think the systems that are high-performing have become high-performing because it's not just around the teaching profession, it's also around curriculum and vocational education and early childhood education. I mean, they've got all of this, all of the parts of the system to work together as yes. opposed to being disconnected yes. and in the same direction and consistent. Yes. And I think the big US problem is lack of consistency between schools in a district, between different states. Um, if we're all able to get everybody to the level of Massachusetts, we would be one of the highest performing systems yeah. uh, in the world. So, so they've done a lot by making a system and making it consistent. Um, I think the future, I think um, the advent of AI, I yes. think digital technology, I think all of these things 
are not going to are somehow going to undo standardization. Um, I don't understand how, but if you, but if you're if you're talking now about uh, personalized learning, if you're talking about AI driven yes. learning and assessment systems yeah. that move at the student's own pace and that can presumably be geared to a wider range of interests, you are kind of unpacking some elements of the system. Um, you're obviously at the higher education level and increasingly at the higher high school level, you're beginning to have uh, access to learning outside of the high school yes. classroom. I don't know how far down that will go. So I, th I think you do begin to see uh, elements, but I, I think I, I think the public school system is going to be here for quite a while. And if we could just learn from the highest performing countries about how to um, raise the bar for everybody and make uh, uh, teaching consistent in every single classroom as opposed to excellent in some and really weak in the classrooms where students need it the most, I think for the next 10 years, that's enough to be working on. Vivian, the point about consistency and sustainability, We've often talked about that in the language of um, uh, within school and between school variation. Where you can limit that, then in some ways people then say, ah, I've got a more, not just consistent system, I've got a more equitable right. system. Right. And clearly a number of the high performing systems have really cracked this quite challenging and challenging problem that we've got around attending to equity, to inclusion, to diversity. Yes. What's your reflection well, on that? No country in the world has completely solved the equity problem. In fact, those who are closer to solving it are more worried about it, even it seems. Um, but but there are but the higher performing systems are high performing partly because they don't have the huge bottom of performance that yes. we have in in the U.S. They have found a whole variety of ways, beginning with early intervention, um, but but also focusing around getting quality teaching into the most challenging schools um, that we that we and other mid-performing systems have not have yes. not managed to do. So Singapore assigns teachers to schools so that every school has an equal mix of inexperienced and experienced and highly rated teachers. Shanghai doesn't assign teachers to schools, but if you want to climb to the highest rank uh, in the, Singapore, in the uh, Shanghai teaching system, you have to have worked in or with a low-performing school because they have huge differences in income levels between migrant workers coming into the city and, and well-established professionals. So that's one way they're dealing with that. Um, one of the reasons Finland is so high performing is that virtually all of the schools perform the same. Yes. Now, Finland is also a more homogeneous society, but you take Ontario, which has very yes. high rates of immigration, very diverse place. And one of the ways they have raised performance is by focusing on improving the quality of literacy and math teaching in all of their schools, but particularly the lowest performing. Uh, I think getting high quality teaching into the most challenging schools is one of the most important things that we can do. And it's also one of the toughest things, one of the areas where we fail the most. Yeah, and again, therefore, it's a systems approach. It's not just a collection of particular strategies. Right. I mean, I wish we could actually continue this a bit longer. <laughs> but um, I just want to say thank you very much because the work has been really significant, I think. We've got the next international summit lined up for 2020 probably in the Asian region. And as you say, we are seriously learning from each other uh, as we think about the way in which we can strengthen this most significant part of our learning system. So thank you once again for joining us today. Thanks, Ernie.